0: This is episode 198 with certified running coach, personal trainer, Boston Marathon qualifier, and ultramarathoner, Ms. Allie Felsenthal. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to will help you if you're a new runner. I'm talking with Coach Ali Felsenthal about getting started pitfalls to avoid, community, and more. If you're not sure how to start running, this episode will give you the inspiration to lace them up and get out the door. Here on the show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry to give you the knowledge, the mindsets, and the tools to get faster, stronger, and become a more capable athlete. Because if you better understand the process of improvement when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. I bet you'll also love our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on how to run longer, strength workouts, coaching lessons, how to stay healthy and run with better form, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. And a big thank you to our newest sponsor, Precision Hydration, If you've ever struggled with hydration or electrolyte issues, it's worth checking them out at precisionhydration.com. You can take their free online sweat test to get you a personalized hydration strategy to test and training. Precision Hydration is also hooking you up. Our listeners can get 15% off your first order by using the code STRENGTH15 when checking out. And also, don't miss episode 147 of the podcast, where I interviewed Andy Blow, the CEO of Precision Hydration. All right, our episode today features Coach Ali Felsenthal, a certified running coach, personal trainer, Boston qualifier, 86-minute half-marathoner, fitness class instructor, and host of the Run With Ally Live podcast. She came to running a little bit later in life, but has progressed so quickly after leaving her corporate job and focusing all of her attention on her coaching and running. That transition is what we're talking about today, how to make the leap and become the consistent runner that I know you think you can be. We're discussing the most impactful things that beginners can focus on, mistakes to avoid, the value of community, and a lot more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ms. Allie Felsenthal. Thanks for joining me, Allie. We just spoke recently, actually, for your podcast, Run With Allie Live, and I'm just so looking forward to chatting with you again today.
1: Likewise. It was a blast, you know, speaking with you on my podcast, and now I can't wait to talk to you more here.
0: Well, you just have such an interesting background as an athlete and as a coach, you know, you're an 86 minute half marathoner, you're a certified running coach and personal trainer, you have a whole bunch of other certifications would probably need a whole podcast just to talk about all those. And you're an ultra marathoner, a Boston qualifier. Is it safe to assume that you just really love fitness?
1: Yes, that's safe <laughs> to assume. And you know, I'm currently training for a sub three hour marathon.
0: That's Awesome. Do you have a marathon on the books that you're hoping to train for and and race soon?
1: Oh, yes, I do. Uh, San Diego, uh, the Rock and Roll Marathon, October 24th. I'm so excited.
0: Okay. Mid to late October, San Diego. I'm feeling pretty good about the weather. It'll probably be all right.
1: Hot, but you know, like dry heat, not New York humidity.
0: Yeah. Humidity makes a huge difference. I've been hearing a lot of folks compare it to altitude recently, but I'll take altitude any day over humidity for sure.
1: You know, yeah. I, I was just talking to you about how I love altitude. And oddly enough, my body acclimatized to altitude pretty quickly when I went there. I actually went there to coach a runner over COVID. But let me tell you something. When I got out of the car initially at 10,000 feet and I tried to run like I was at sea level, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. Like, I, it took me a second, you know, and I had to like readjust, obviously, because it's, I don't think I've ever been that high before running.
0: Well, 10,000 feet is certainly a whole different world than even where I am in Denver, which is about 5,300 feet. So yeah, I mean, the difference between sea level and Denver I would say is less than the difference between Denver and 10,000 feet. Because when you go up to 10,000 feet, I mean, even at eight or 9,000 feet, the air gets so thin that there's just certain things that you can't do as a runner. You know, you can't run as fast. You can't pump as much blood because there's not as much oxygen in that blood. It is just so challenging. But hopefully you had a little bit of time at the lower altitudes around Denver, because that really helps you uh, acclimatize.
1: You know, I'm actually planning to visit Colorado this summer. I love Colorado. It's like my second favorite place besides San Diego outside of New York. Uh, And I really cannot wait to get in some good runs there.
0: Well, it's a beautiful spot. Uh, I'd be happy to give you some suggestions on amazing trail runs and and other spots that you you can go to.
1: Thank you. Yeah. You know, I have two runners that I'm coaching in Colorado. So that'll be cool. So just like, you know, run all over Colorado.
0: <laughs> That's what everyone wants to do when they come here. <laughs> uh you know, Ali, I'd love to talk about where you were previously and how you got to where you are now. Because you used to have this corporate job and, and I'd love to hear you walk us through that journey from working in the corporate world to doing what you do now, coaching runners and other athletes, how'd you get here? Were were you always a runner? Do you always know that you wanted to do something like this?
1: No, actually, not to this extent. Um, Like I'll fully say that I've always, always, always been an athlete. So ever since a young age, um, speaking of fitness, it's funny that you say that. I don't know if I haven't tried anything but field hockey and lacrosse. I've, I've always been, you know, always gotten my feet wet in sports. Um, I used to be a very competitive swimmer, actually. Like, this is middle school, high school, did not swim in college. I actually almost, you know, went to the Olympics when I was very young, or, like too young. Like, I was that good. And I just didn't like it anymore. And the funny thing then was I did not like running at all. I tried to skip dry land.
0: I think a lot of people end up uh, who, who I think a lot of people who don't like running end up trying it. And then as soon as they have a little bit of experience with it, as soon as they get a little bit of taste of improvement, they start getting hooked on the sport. And And I know I was exactly in that boat too. I, I was the person who started running in high school. But, you know, during track and field week in eighth grade, I was the 110 pound kid throwing the shot put because, I would do anything to stay away from those running events. So I was doing the high jump, the shot put. I think I did like the 100 hurdles, which is just hilarious. You know, you can imagine me doing the 100 hurdles and throwing a shot put. That's just embarrassing for me to talk about.
1: (laughs) No, it's, it's not embarrassing. It's just, you know, what I find most interesting is, you know, you're talking about hurdles here. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, I never would have even thought to do hurdles in high school. I, of course, I watched track and field, but it just wasn't my forte. I swam. And obviously track and field is during swimming season. And so to be um, truthful with you, initially, when you first asked, did I ever think I was going to be here? I never thought it was possible for me. I self-doubted myself a lot. And, you know, yes, of course, when you're a child and you're younger, you're like, you want to be a doctor, you want to be, you know, like a magician, whatever it is. Um, I just never thought I was good enough, to be honest with you. Um, and so, you know, I just went along with my life. Uh, I have a business MBA, uh, from Oxford university in economics, and I have a undergrad business degree from Ithaca college. And so, yes, I studied in the business school, uh, and I have a dual concentration in marketing and management. And that is what kind of took me to the corporate world in New York city after I was done with college. And mind you, um, I did not swim or run in college, really. Uh, I enjoyed college. I enjoyed college. I'll leave it at that. Uh, and got, you know, good grades somehow. So my first job was at Condé Nast in digital sales. And this is when digital was booming. Facebook like was like really erupting. Instagram came out. Um, I worked across multiple publications. And then what I did was I went to an in-app company, uh, worked on pre-sales advertising, moved to the last company I was at, Zaxis, which is a programmatic ad company uh, and worked on the post sales side of the business and then went into sales and then account director and managed the entire Marriott portfolio. So it was a really stressful job. And there was days where I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to like channel my stress. Right. So I started running. I started running. I started going to Equinox downstairs and running. And I was like, oh, here I am running. I don't even like this. But then, you know, we all say consistency is key. I just started running and running and running. I was like, oh, I feel like an athlete again. Or, you know, just I feel good. I was able to relieve so much stress. And then, you know, I started my Instagram as like a very like it was a hobby. Um I'm going to fast forward and not bore you too much with the whole corporate world. Uh, But basically, there was a point in time where I watched the clock and I was like, am I going to be sitting here working and like then dying in 50 years? Because like, this is not the life I want. I want to, I want to help people struggle with what I'm struggling with. And I want to find a way to do that. And there was a point where I said to myself, okay, let's, let's map this out, Al. So three months, you know, I'm sitting in my office, you know, doing my job just fine um, until I finally pulled the plug and I went to HR and I said, this is going to be my last day. And they were like, are you serious? And I said, yes, I want to go help people better their lives through fitness at that time. Uh, So I left. The first thing I did was I went like this, like a power pose, like a Supergirl girl pose um, with tears streaming down my face. True story in Manhattan. And I felt almost like free. It was very liberating and also really scary because I was like, wow, you know what? I just left my career time to really hustle. So I had a very hard time starting in fitness because people were like this girl, she has six years of corporate experience. Yeah, she's athletic, great. She knows how to start a business, great, okay. But why what does she have to do with fitness? So I went to Equinox because I was actually, I had a trainer at Equinox. And he was he suggested, you know, why don't you try to um become a personal trainer here and learn all about the body, how to train everybody, and then then go niche. And they denied um, my application, uh, when I applied to be a personal trainer, they accepted my application when I applied to the sales department, like corporate sales. So I walked into that interview and I nicely, I planned a pitch to pitch them. I said, I'm selling you on the reason why I could be the best personal trainer at this club. And I listed all the reasons I said, you know, I don't have any credentials, but I am telling you, I will go through all the schooling, everything you want me to do here." to really do what I need to do to excel at this job and help this company move forward um, and really be a team player. And they gave me a chance, and I didn't let them down because I did that. And so, yeah, <laughs> um, I'm just thinking about this out loud. It's kind of unbelievable. I was wearing my Boston Marathon medal around my neck on the floor shifts and jumping on treadmills to all the runners, right, and being like, hi, you know, do you strength train by any chance? let's have an equifit. This is serious. I know I have pictures of it. And I'm like laughing when I'm talking about it. But it's, it's true.
0: I, lo- I love that you sold yourself as a personal trainer in a sales job interview. <laughs> okay. They should have just hired you for the sales job, because y- you convinced them to be a personal trainer. <laughs> that is amazing. And you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you, Ali, is because you made this very difficult transition from, you know, your corporate job to coaching, and you also did it as an athlete. You went from someone who did a lot of other sports to becoming a runner, and you've become a very good runner. And now you work with a lot of clients. I know you see folks who take a lot of fitness classes and, you know, maybe they walk, maybe they do some strength training. And I'd love to know, you know, in your work, what gets people to make the leap and become a more consistent runner going from, I'm a fitness class kind of person to I'm a runner. Do you, do you lure them in with these group classes and then get them hooked on running? How does this work?
1: Well, that's, you know, you just, you just got me. That's really how I sell people in my running coaching. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, um, no, uh, that's a really good question. Um, so I practice what I preach. A lot of people openly have like my clients currently have told me that they have been following me for a while on Instagram, researching, you know, what I'm all about reading what I'm all about. Um, and I like that because it's almost like it's like, they're it's like a date, right? They're like, kind of like seeing what I'm all about before they reach out. And every time someone reach out, reaches out to me, I know they're pretty serious, but I don't think it's just the running. I don't think it's just one specific thing. I think it's what I've been told is the authenticity I give. This is what I've been told. The authenticity, the authenticity I give and also the ability for me to help others bring out the best in themselves because I, I tend to believe in the people I coach more than they believe in themselves because I'm a science nerd. So when I look at, you know, stats from a race, I'm like, oh, you're going to you're going to run a sub 130 marathon for example. I said this to Orkan, one of my clients and he looks at me and he goes 132. I said 129. He got a 129 because he was fit enough for that and just, you know, um that's someone that came to me for running form um and to get a stronger core. Uh so getting back to these group classes, those evolved because of my injury. I was very 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 injured. Um from running, um, overtraining, not eating properly, not getting enough sleep, I almost fractured my right femur and I pulled my right piriformis and I had a quad uh, strain in my right leg. It was not fun. So what the silver lining out of that was, I was able to find different like facets. I want to say of fitness that helped me keep my conditioning to a certain extent, where my comeback um, allowed me to match my PR, which. Currently, is a 322 in the marathon because it's been since 2019. Uh, and so, you know, ever since that, that's basically a very, very big part of my core philosophy of coaching is cross training to complement running and strength training comes under that mobility comes under that everything like you name it, everything, everything falls under that. So I truly believe and I'm sure many coaches out there. Um, arguably, including my own, you know, would say that running, we only need running to keep us, you know, to keep getting faster or to keep getting better at running. But nowadays we have different patterns. We sit a lot, you know, we're not moving the same way uh that we always do, or maybe we never did move the right way. Um, I just put up a post today about unilateral training and the importance of that because that is a very big cause for a lot of running injuries. Uh, You know, obviously overcompensating in different areas where we're not really supposed to be using during certain movement patterns that transit over to, yeah, walking and running. Um, And, you know, so it's more like when people come to these classes, they know what I'm about, but their response is usually running is very hard. I aspire to be a runner. I'm going to start here.
0: And how do how do they progress? Someone's coming to, to classes, someone's not really a runner. I know running can be very intimidating sometimes. A lot of runners or I'm sorry, a lot of folks just have these preconceptions about running. It's boring. It was used as punishment in my sport when I was growing up and playing, you know, soccer or something. So how do you get folks to actually enjoy it and and become that consistent runner that I think a lot of folks would like to be, but it can be a little hard sometimes.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Um, Well, in group, I throw in tons of anaerobic sprints, like hundreds, 200s, mixed in with like burpees, you know, uh, lateral lunges, uh, alternating forward lunges, stuff like that. However, um, when people come to me and they want to make like the gap of really going on to a structured systematic training program. Uh, first of all, you know, I meet them where they're at. I have them do a time trial usually, um, you know, depending on what type of runner they are. Now, if this is like an aspiring runner, like I just worked with a girl today who ran for the first time in her life, really ran for the first time in her life, who has a goal of a marathon. Incredible. I cried. Um, it was amazing. Uh, you know, meeting someone where they're at. And, you know, I, I am a very hands on coach. So, you know, I hold my people accountable, I check in on them, and I always make them feel like people first, because they are, you know, hey, how's it going? How's life going? Um, You know, if someone's injured, they should not stop training for a marathon, they just might need to work on areas to strengthen and keep their bodies, you know, not sedentary, I want to say so that when they are healed and ready to get back to running, they're not starting from like square one and beyond, if that makes any sense.
0: No, that's great. And, you know, I, I think it's always, you know, meeting someone where they're at is probably one of the hardest things for, for a lot of runners to really grasp because, you know, I I get this question all the time, it's like, you know, can you build me a, a three and a half hour training plan for the marathon? And I was like, well, No, I can't because I don't know if you are personally ready for that kind of training or to go after that kind of uh, a goal time. So let's meet you where you're at, start training based on your current fitness level. And, you know, we'll just see where you where you're at on race day. But we have to build the fitness first. And then based on whatever fitness we're able to build from where you're beginning now, Then your goal, your finish time, will end up being what it what it is. And so, I I think there's a lot of important issues when it comes to starting to work with new runners, and and both pushing them and also being realistic with the kind of progress that they might see over the first couple months. Because that's such a such an incredible time to be a new runner. You know, there's so much potential, but there's also so much risk, and. You know, do you see any common issues that trip up beginner runners uh, that you know are common pitfalls that if they can just avoid these couple mistakes, their journey to becoming uh, a you know an intermediate runner, a more consistent runner, is going to be a lot easier.
1: Yeah, uh, there's a few things. Uh, so one is a lot of shin splints, and you know, a lot of things hurting, um, a lot of foot striking issues, just running form issues from the get go, I've noticed. And that's like me like taking a step even back further and saying, let's see how your body mechanics are. So usually I'll have runners like take videos of them running towards the camera away from the camera and on the side. So I could just see, you know, their gait, their foot strike, because if someone's over pronating, they're not going to be running long for very well, probably. Um, So Taking it there also, explaining that, and I'm guilty of this too, by the way, that easy runs, um, I hate calling them easy runs nowadays. Like, you should be able to speak to someone during a run that is building your aerobic fitness. Not like we're not doing mile repeats here, not like a beginner runner would have that, but like this is to build your endurance slowly, apply progressive overload properly so you don't get injured, you know, to really help them and be with them along the way to just like, understand that it's a slow progress, um, progression, but if you do it the right way, you're going to see results and be very happy with them.
0: Yeah. I think recognizing that not every run is a workout or a race is probably one of the most important things for new runners to understand. Uh, and have you found that a lot of the the achiness, the aches and pains, the little niggles that I think are much more common among new runners, because after all, the stress of running is just completely new to them. Do you find that the strength training and, you know, all of the other work, the mobility, the strength and core stuff, do you think that helps mitigate some of those aches and pains that are really common when you first start?
1: If it's done at the right times around their runs, yes. Yes.
0: When is, can you give me an example of kind of like a bad time or a time when this work wouldn't be helpful?
1: Sure. After a long run, why would someone do strength training after a long run when they're already fatigued? And for a beginner runner, that could be three miles and that's still a long run. That's still three miles. It's a long way, you know, when, when anyone's fatigued, but also again, meeting someone where they're at, you know everyone says it's great to do power on power days, right? So like strength on your workout days, okay? For a beginner runner, that might be a little, you know, walk jogging and that's great, but that person might not be feeling it and not, might not be there. So it really depends on the individual's needs, but um, just making sure that, you know, things like fatigue levels, like visibly, nutrition and sleep holistically are like on points, in conjunction with the training, especially while starting out, um, making sure you're not getting too lean, you know, making sure that you're strong enough to be doing these things without literally breaking, I want to say, um, and not comparing to others because the only person that I hope, I, I hope one day everyone could just only compare themselves to is themselves.
0: Sure. So it sounds like the strength training is not a good idea for beginner runners when they're very tired.
1: Yeah. And I also think that, you know, training muscular endurance is probably import- more important over muscular strength while you're first starting out, I want to say, because you're getting your muscles used to anything, any type of resistance. Some of these people have never touched a resistance band before that I've worked with. So loading on a heavy barbell is going to make zero sense at first.
0: So when you see... um let's say, a successful beginner runner, someone who's been running for two or three months, and then you see a runner who's really been struggling. They're also two to three months in, but they they haven't been able to land the consistency. They haven't been able to just develop that nice rhythm of running so that it starts to feel good. What's the difference between these two runners? What is the the big factor that is separating the successful runner who's starting to feel good versus the runner who's still not feeling very good after a couple months of running?
1: I would assume one has you know, a higher VO2 max and better running economy um, and more endurance.
0: So it's just an issue of talent?
1: No, definitely not. Um, in terms of training your VO2 max, so doing that, boosting your aerobic fitness, your cardiovascular fitness, um, or in other words, your body's efficiency to use oxygen as fuel Um, more efficiently for prolonged periods of time without, you know, stumbling across your feet, jeopardizing your running economy.
0: Well, I mean, what are the training issues that separate these two runners? I mean, one runner might have a high VO2 max, but you don't really do workouts based on your VO2 max. So like, what is, what is the runner doing? Who's successful that the runner who's not feeling good and who's not quote unquote successful, what are they not doing?
1: Okay, if you want to buy the book answer, I would have to guess the good runner is probably like playing with different speeds and different types of quality workouts, maybe training their threshold a little bit, but not like so intensely if they're a beginner runner. But also one could be just really nailing that running form from the get go. The other could, you know, have an injury and be a little stubborn about it and not want to like admit to it. And that's why their running is jeopardized. It's important to not rule those out.
0: I'd love to talk more with you about marathon training because I think training for a marathon is a huge step in any runner's career. And knowing when you're ready to start training for a marathon is a really important thing to know. If you don't know, well, I can start training for a marathon now or not, then you kind of make a lot of these beginner mistakes because you're simply not ready for it. And there's a reason why there's no couch to marathon program, you know? Being being a sedentary person and then being like, I'm gonna run a marathon in five months, that is a really quick way to take on way too much. So when you're starting to work with someone and they're excited about running and they wanna run that marathon, what are some benchmarks that you are looking for in their training to say, okay, I think you're ready to start this process of marathon training. Because I do think you, you kind of have to train for the training first. You can't just jump right into it. So when are they ready?
1: Um, so you can't just jump right into it. But I have had a few people say, my goal is to run a marathon. And so I talk them through what that's going to look like and what I look for from them when the time comes to make sure that could happen. Do they have enough time scheduling? Um, you know, how flexible are they? Um, you know, are certain workouts like hurting? Like, can they even like run like a half marathon? Have they raced a half marathon? What did that look like? You know, um, even if they're there, but, you know, I want to say, um, being able to be coachable as well, being able to, you know, like understand, that you need to listen and work with your coach rather than just kind of get frustrated and just say, you know, I'm done. I'm done because, uh, consistency is everything in a marathon. And so it's, it, that goes with, you know, patience, pacing yourself. It's not a 5k. It's a 26.2 miles. It's a lot of grit, a lot of mental strength. Um, so in terms of like ready, um, I'd feel comfortable, progressing someone to a marathon that was training already after they had completed a half and they were healthy.
0: Yeah. I always like to tell runners that if you've run a half, then you're ready to start training for a marathon because you know, you've you run well over 10 miles at that point. You probably ran a bunch of double digit long runs or fingers crossed, at least you hopefully did during training. And that tells me that you're ready to start You know, some 16 to 20 week program.
1: I have a question for you completely. I don't mean to cut you off, but I have to ask you this. Okay. I know you, you like you would just know, um, runner talk. Do you think that a half marathon and a marathon are comparable in terms of like the way you feel mental toughness? Like I know that it is a very good preemptive, you know, measure to run a half, but like a marathon's a different monster. How do you think the two compare?
0: Um, I really don't think they compare. It's like kind of trying to compare the half marathon to the 5K. You know, they're they're totally different animals. They require different racing strategies. The marathon is unique in that it is short enough to be a fast race, but it is long enough that you simply don't have enough fuel to complete the entire thing at your desired goal pace. So the, the real key to running a successful marathon is – number one, getting the endurance to finish it. Number two, getting the fitness and the speed to finish it with some speed. And then finally, figuring out the fueling approach that's going to allow you to maintain that speed all the way to the finish. And and a lot of the times there is a slight positive split. I don't think anyone should be You know, concerned about that. Unless you're a a professional, you're probably going to positive split your marathon. If not, maybe squeak out an even split, which I think would just be a huge win in my book. But, you know, my best marathon was a positive split. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if I was less aggressive, I probably would have ended up running slower, even if the splits were a little bit more congruent. So, yeah, I mean, the marathon is just such a unique event and it's uniquely challenging in a way that shorter events are not. And then when you get into the longer stuff, you know, the ultra marathon distances, those are just different because they're very often not on the road. They're very often have wild elevation changes and, you know, they're on some more technical terrain. They're usually trail races and you simply can't run them as fast because they're so long. So it's, it's much more of a, Uh, a race of endurance and and really just kind of staying power. Although we are seeing some differences in how those races are being tackled now at the professional levels. You know, I feel like in the last one, two, three years, we are just seeing crazy athletes who can just, just run 50 K or 50 miles really fast. So I feel like ultra running is undergoing this transition right now where, we're starting to see some amazing performances over incredibly long distances that is really shaking up, I think, how ultras are run. Because if you look at ultras, you know, from 2005 through 2010, very different from ultra marathons from 2018 through today, because you just have this whole new crop of of runners who, you know, maybe have a, a track background, they maybe are coming from the road racing scene and they're treating these ultras like fast, shorter races, and, and they're actually doing it. I had a very fascinating conversation a couple episodes ago with the ultra-marathon man himself, Dean Karnazes, and he was talking about this. You know, we talked a little bit about the history of ultramarathons. We talked about the future of ultras and how they're just becoming so so competitive and compared with a decade or fi- even 15 years ago. The performances we're seeing are just out of this world. So it, it's really different. And you know, I would encourage anyone to think that yes, of course, running is running, but the difference between a hundred miler and a marathon is just like the difference between a marathon and a five k, or a five k and the eight hundred meters. They're all wildly different. They require very different types of fitness. So yeah, they're they're, they're just very different. But why do you ask? Do you think uh, do you think runners tend to think that a marathon is simply two half marathons in terms of overall effort?
1: Maybe, but, you know, just, um, like going through like all of the research from, you know, um, the science, like, like basically every single journal there is, I'm a part of like the American physiological society, like portal, just cause, just cause I like learning. um, you know, there are like markers obviously. And there are like things that you look for in terms of like being able to hold your threshold. And obviously if you like apply like the Jack Daniels rule, you know, like add 15 to 25 seconds based on your fitness, um, to, you know, your marathon race pace, like things like that, right. That show that the half is really indicative of your marathon performance pace. But then you just said it yourself, people, positive split. And like that, I mean, it's obviously 26.2 miles. Fueling is, I think something, everything, everyone's trying to nail and also just having that kind of strength is different. It's endurance, like that kind of endurance is a different kind of strength than an 800 meter athlete, for example.
0: For sure. And I do want to clarify that when I said that, you know, they're all very different, I didn't necessarily mean that one is not indicative of your potential in another. I think, you know, unlike the stock market, past performance is wonderfully indicative of future performance And it's best to compare races of the same distance or very close. So if you want, if you've never run a marathon before, and you want to know what finish time you might run, the best thing to do is to look at your half marathon. Now, if you want to run a really fast 5k, the best thing to look at is your two mile 8k or 10k race time. Now, of course, you can look at other distances and look at, you know, the the marathon for the 5k. You can look at the 5k for the marathon. They're just not as related. And while there are some similarities, it is a little bit difficult.
1: Yeah. If you follow that chart, my 5k time is not fast enough to run a 126 half.
0: Which maybe means that you are better at the longer events.
1: That's why I jumped to the marathon.
0: Interesting. So Ali, before we wrap, I want to talk to you a little bit about New York City. You mentioned New York earlier and I know that New York City has an amazing running community and I'd love to know if you take advantage of that running community in New York and, and how uh that community has maybe helped your running and you know I think this is so important because you know obviously New York City it's like you know the capital of the world almost but a lot of people don't live in a place that has such a supportive running community and so I'm just kind of wondering You know, what might you say to someone who doesn't have that kind of amazing running community, but would like to get the advantages and the benefits of a team or a club and and just being around other
1: runners? Yeah. um, Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, after COVID, I was like, my friend James, who like spearheads North Brooklyn runners, I I said, you know, I want to be involved with like people's running. I know I have a private coach, but like, you know... I perform better running in a group with that support. And like I have, it's just so nice to have other people with your sim- same passion, regardless of their speed, just doing their thing and having fun out there. It's amazing. So for the people that don't have that, well, you do. Uh, you could sync up with people on Strava, on in Facebook groups, uh, you know, get a friend, get your neighbor, challenge them, be like, hey, let's run a mile. Do you want to run a mile? You might, they might think you're crazy, but we just came out of a global pandemic. We're trying to all stay healthy here, right? You're speaking of like walking to running. I mean, that's a great challenge. Accountability buddies, a coach, a coach is probably the best person to hold you accountable if they do their job and they hold you accountable uh, because, you know, coaches should check in on their runners. So, you know, I think, you know, all of those things and just reaching out to people that you think are inspiring to you, tell them that. People love that. And, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. The runners I coach when they post every day, it inspires me to get my butt out the door. So I think being a coach and athlete, like doesn't matter. I'm a runner too. You know, having the running community virtually is just as good as having it in person. There's no stupid thing to say. Everyone's so accepting, supportive, immerse yourself in it. Cause it's a great group of people.
0: Well put, Allie. Well, hey, thanks so much for making the time today to chat with me. Uh, I love hearing different perspectives on getting beginner runners into the sport and taking advantage of the running community. You know, it's one of the best ways to grow the sport, I think, and just have us all come together. Thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: And there it is, runners. I hope this was helpful for all the new runners out there. I love bringing on coaches and other subject matter experts who have different backgrounds to give us new perspectives on this great sport. If you found value in this episode, please consider a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, I want to talk about Precision Hydration, who has generously offered 15% off your first order with code STRENGTH15. If you remember back to last year, I interviewed their founder and CEO, Andy Blow, about all things hydration in episode 147. Well, Andy was nice enough to set me up with a custom sweat test. And I learned a lot of new things about my body in the process. First of all, I don't sweat very much. And this wasn't necessarily new to me. I always knew that I had a low sweat rate. But what was new, when I do sweat, I'm practically an outlier in terms of how salty my sweat is. So for long efforts, when it's really hot, I certainly have to pay far more attention to my electrolyte levels so I don't crash. Now, of course, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to hydration for athletes, which is why I love that precision hydration helps athletes refine their own hydration strategy for whatever event you might be training for. If you can't get a custom sweat test done, then no sweat. They have a free online sweat test that you can take at precisionhydration.com, and that will give you your own personalized hydration strategy. Now, it's heating up here where I am in Denver, Colorado, and I'm ending my runs a lot sweatier than I was just a few weeks ago. So I know I'll be paying a lot more attention to my hydration and my electrolyte needs, especially with those longer runs, bike rides, and especially when I go up into the mountains here at Altitude. Check out Precision Hydration at precisionhydration.com. And don't forget that you can get 15% off your first order of electrolytes that match how you sweat by using the code STRENGTH15. That's STRENGTH15 at checkout to save 15%. All right, that's our show today. Thank you so much for subscribing, for hanging out with me today, for leaving reviews of the podcast. As always, don't hesitate to reach out to me anytime with questions about your running at support at strengthrunning.com. Talk to you soon.